Welcome to Bad Music Hurts, the friendly music club where my brother and I discuss our favorite music. This is episode 18, and the uncomfortably cold temperature outside makes it clear we're squarely in the holiday season, so today we'll sit back and sip hot cocoa over the Carpenter's 1978 classic, Christmas Portrait. With me today is honorary elf, jolly old Michael Barraclitz. Hey, Michael. Hey, Mark. It's December the 4th, and I'm longing to be up north. It's, it's getting to be that time of year. Almost a Christmas break, two more weeks of work, and then we're done. We're almost there. Oh, and I'm Grinch in training, Mark Barrowclips. I've been forgetting to introduce myself during these as well, so I can introduce <laughs> you in this. Like, who's this mystery voice? <laughs> we're nothing if not professionals. But yeah, we're talking about a Christmas portrait today. And before I guess diving into the music itself, I insatiably curious because you were the one that suggested this why how'd you figure out about this record why was it one that you recommended tell me about that yeah uh i mean it's not too <laughs> not too involved we were um keely and i were up north two weekends ago with dad and he was playing music on the stereo and it was a carpenter song coming up that was the one i forget what it's called it's the one where the like refrain is baby 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 or whatever and <laughs> he, we were laughing about it because uh, there's a scene in Tommy Boy where they're both like listening to the song and they're both like oh, oh I, they both won't admit that it's an amazing song and then it cuts like <laughs> a couple seconds later and they're both belting it in the car um, so we were talking about that it was a combination of like that conversation that got the car- uh, carpenters on my mind in addition to our prior episode where you drafted uh, Merry Christmas Darling as well onto your EP. So both of those kind of made me curious. I've heard Carpenter stuff before and I've liked a lot of what I've heard. Um, and I kind of wanted to see where that your song that you drafted came from. So uh, that's kind of why I sent it over. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm uh, glad that this is one that you recommended because, I, I, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize the Carpenters had uh, not one, but two complete Christmas albums. I thought it was more or less like, oh, maybe they did a Christmas single here and there. Like, obviously, Merry Christmas, Darling. And I've heard like one or two others. I don't know why I didn't bridge that in my mind that like, well, of course, they would have done like a, at least one Christmas album. But we got two. We got two. So the Christmas portrait, which we're covering today, and then um, an old fashioned Christmas. And unfortunately, it's not as simple as I'm making it sound. We'll we'll get to that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, they is all to say they've done a lot of Christmas music for their relatively short career of like, what was it? Uh, eight, 10 years, 12 years, maybe max. Um, but yeah, so I didn't think this would be something that going song by song would make the most sense for. So I the way that I was thinking we would approach this would be maybe uh, talking about general first impressions, because, I mean, as I mentioned, neither of us were like intimately familiar with this record. So I think getting a sense of where our our thoughts are after our first few listens this past week, seeing where those thoughts are, and maybe that'll be a good springboard going forward. So 
I, I want to start with you. What is your general thoughts on this thing? Kind of mixed. I think Ooh. I'm landing on really liking it. Initially, I started out with the beginning of this album. <laughs> I, I'll kind of get to this, but I think this beginning of this album can be just cut away and it's a superior album for it. But that being said, even with the album in its entirety, I will add it to my repertoire of having it in the background for decorating for Christmas and all that. They cover a lot of good staples here. The album is very long, <laughs> so I don't think I'm I don't think I'm ever like going to sit down with this like I would maybe a shorter album like an Amy Grant album or like a Trans-Siberian album. It's just it's too long even for like a commute to cover in a reasonable stretch. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I thought this was a little jarring at first with the first couple of songs. It's 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 almost borderlines kind of theatrical at parts and kind of musical and kind of how it breaks between songs uh, are kind of very brief or one song leads naturally into the other at the beginning. It's a very different style. Some aspects, I think, is style just like flops. <laughs> and in some aspects, I think it does really well for itself. And I think that's no more apparent than in how they handle Overture versus the two medley songs. <laughs> Needless to say, I was like, why does bothering me about the beginning of this album? And the more I was listening to it, my kind of takeaway was, oh, I just don't like Richard Carpenter. <laughs> oh, no. Problem. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I guess those are my high level takeaways. Uh, we'll get more into it, I guess. But honestly, this is. It's a great album. I may like nitpick certain things here and there, but at the end of the day, I think if they kind of tailored things a little bit, I I think they could have condensed and made a, a really, really solid uh, Christmas album to get kind of up into the upper echelon in my mind. It's still a great album that I'll add into the rotation, but I don't think it's quite there in terms of the, I guess, the gold tier in my mind, right? Oh my. <laughs> Where to begin with this? I I am chestfallen that you said that the you'd you'd be fine with the entire beginning being cut away because that was by far my favorite part of the record. Like through <laughs> and through. I never really and you mentioned it's more or less hundred percent uh Richard Carpenter's work with his arrangements, his producing, and even his vocal harmonies on the first one, like very Brian Wilson like 1980s Brian Wilson. Yeah. yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's very meticulously crafted each little segment like the overture covers Happy Holiday and um the first Noel, Little Jesus, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem, so much more. It's 8 minutes of pure unadulterated theatrical bliss. And I I think maybe that's maybe why you don't like it cuz it is very theatrical. It feels like it's the opening number of a Christmas musical, but it's done exceptionally well. It doesn't feel like it's a cash grab. It doesn't feel like it's soulless or paint by the numbers. There's some very interesting pieces uh, and choices made in the actual arrangements that make it seem fresh and make it seem interesting. And even if it's a part that you don't necessarily care for, it's like there and gone. And then all of a sudden we're at a new part in the overture. So keeps it very fresh. Um, and then, of course, you got the more traditional songy songs, with uh, which typically feature then Karen on the vocals. So you've got a lot of different styles throughout here. And that, to me, actually, even though it is, yeah, it is a long record, it generally does not overstate its welcome for me. And it actually is a pretty 
quick listen, aside for a few songs which I have personal issues with, which we'll get to. So first impressions is I I really, really liked it. Um, and I was beyond impressed, even with the overture aside, with how well each song led into the other. Yes, I did enjoy that. Like the first half of the record, every song seamlessly transitions into the other, and it was very well done. Um, it's not easy to do to have all these songs gracefully transition one into the other. So the fact they were able to do this at all, it's a pretty great accomplishment. And I guess before I turn it back to you, I was very interested as to why, to your point, it, it does feel like there's two different things going on here. We have songs that predominantly feature Richard and then ones that you know, of course, he's still doing the arrangements and stuff for, but are like very Karen focused and they don't do t- too many on here where it's both of them. And I, that got me a little bit interested as I was searching around. And I, <laughs> you mentioned before you wish this was trimmed down. This is complicated. It's a complicated record. Oh, really? Isn't necessarily. Yes. So <laughs> I mentioned before there are two Carpenter's records for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Christmas Portrait and then An Old Fashioned Christmas. Now, the Christmas portrait that you purchased, I'm going to assume, is the special edition. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, that's the one that was available on iTunes. Yes. So that is the CD edition of Christmas portrait. Now, stay with me here. That is not the same Christmas portrait that the original release was in 1978. Uh, The special edition is, in fact, a compilation of the original Christmas portrait and the follow-up, An Old Fashioned Christmas. Ah, <laughs> I was curious. I was like, hmm, it says special edition. I wonder what that all means. <laughs> yeah. So it is select tracks from both of those arranged into a new album that is still called, for reasons I don't understand, Christmas Portrait. Uh, Not to be confused with Christmas Collection, which is oh, a no. <laughs> which is literally the original Christmas Portrait, the entire album, then followed by an old-fashioned Christmas, the entire album, not to be confused with. It is oh, boy. very confusing to me that they opted to, I guess, cash in on the Christmas Portrait brand by, I guess, filling it out with select tracks from an old-fashioned Christmas, but still calling it Christmas Portrait. I don't know why they did that. If I had a guess, I don't know. I'm not looking this up live, but if I had a guess, it probably was like cash flow related since it's such a seasonal need that they kind of like redo a new edition and just re-release it essentially to get excitement over it and get new purchases and sales to help like fund things essentially. That'd be my best guess. And I guess the most affordable way to do that to your point is like you create special editions where you just kind of like mix things up a little bit in terms of order. You may remaster some stuff, but ultimately you're not like re-recording anything. So maybe that's what they did. I don't know. We could probably like intuit that by looking at some of the release dates to see if they're all like a year apart. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, that may be what they're doing here. But like, I, I don't want to discredit the compilation nature of the Christmas Portrait Special Edition because it is very well done. I find the way that they did these gapless, seamless interwoven tracks between an old-fashioned christmas and christmas portrait it was done with great care and i think the effect is to the betterment of the project as a whole to the benefit of each individual track because it makes it feel cohesive in a way that compilations almost always are not uh because typically compilations like oh this is clearly from one era this is clearly from another era 
And I don't tend to like compilations at all because of that. It just feels like I'm listening to someone else's playlist. But I did not get that impression from here, aside from the interesting nature of like, this seems like it's purely a Richard Carpenter section versus a like, oh, this is Karen and him together. And that's that's where you can see it shown through the cracks a little bit that it is indeed a compilation, but or a remix or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, that was definitely something that stuck out to me. So I think let me be a little bit more precise then with my high level takeaway, right? I agree with everything you're saying. I really I don't want to like completely bash Richard Carpenter here. So like the the producing, the mixing, the everything flowing into the other. I agree that was super novel and very well done. My issue is his vocals and that style in my mind clash and don't blend well with in my mind what makes a good christmas song because you have them these like nice choir arrangements that like kind of think of that scene from home alone when they walk into the church that booming choir and just that overall like I, i associate that with christmas and they pull a lot of the background choir vocals into this which i think is awesome but then you get thrown in I think you nail it on the head. It's very Brian Wilson Beach Boys. And in my mind, though, it's not good Brian Wilson Beach Boys. Oh, no. For whatever reason, (laughs) I don't know if Richard Carpenter just can't, if he's not confident in his vocals or what, but I don't know why they insist on throwing all of his vocals through the very poor version of the Beach Boys auto-tune filter. It's not good early Beach Boys auto-tune filter. Oh, no, we're talking this is that's why God made the radio auto-tune filter where it's obvious. Oh, maybe these guys are getting a bit old and we need to kind of cover some stuff up here. I, I, I implore you, listen to an old Beach Boys song, which I know that you're well versed in. And then listen to that a song from That's Why God Made the Radio. It's like, oh, that's the difference. He sounds like he's coming straight from That's Why God Made the Radio. Slow your roll there, buckaroo. There was no auto-tune filter in 1978. (laughs) That was not a thing. Whatever mixing they do, it sounds auto-tune. If they didn't have the tech back then, I listened to it, and that's what is brought to my mind, is it sounds filtered. It sounds messed with in a weird way where it doesn't sound like I'm listening to the person anymore, really. It's 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 possible that it's just because I think the impression I'm getting is that Richard is very meticulous um, in a similar way to, again, draw parallels, unfortunately, to Brian Wilson. I'm going to have to do it because Brian Wilson also was famously very meticulous in the studio. So it's possible that what the impression of autotune filter you're getting is just that he did take upon take upon take until he got note by note the perfect performance for each of the parts of the harmony and then strewn those together because he's overdubbing himself for these. So that might be, uh, so I think it's a combination of those two things that it wasn't organic. These are very controlled performances that are then in post overlaid on top of one another, which was a technique done by Brian Wilson. Uh, maybe, maybe not in God made the radio, um, but throughout um, the later discography of his and beach boys, 
Um, so there's that, but then also that because you're doing those controlled performances, you can make sure that you get like the perfect performance for each and every part of the harmony, which may for, you know, newer listeners such as ourselves later in history may interpret as like, oh, it feels like this is all auto tune, even though it was just a controlled recording, but not necessarily like corrected automatically with software. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think you could be right there i mean yes the auto tune technology didn't exist because yeah the album's 1978 that's why god made your radio is 2012 so i think there may be a case for that of some meddling around with that but all that to say is it sounds like it comes from that beach boys album and i don't think that those styles mix well together for the sake of a christmas album like in my mind i bought a i maybe this is just misplaced expectations i bought a, a christmas album anticipating carpenters and it's like the first two songs i'm like did i buy a beach boys album like what is this <laughs> i don't know I, I i i don't know if i, I we kind of talked about this before right where to have something like so meticulously perfect in production especially especially of vocals i think is a fine line to ride between it just sounds off and like robotic versus no having errors in it makes it more human it makes it more natural. It just feels just yeah, messing with it less, I think, is inherently, I think, a better quality. Like having hmm. like I'd rather have him trip up a little bit like that. That's fine. <laughs> like, I don't I'd rather have that than it kind of seeming to be, I guess, polished, I guess, if not uh, is since auto tune isn't the right term here, like more polished or um controlled perfect yeah controlled non-organic this is kind of like we talked about before the difference between like inheritance and quill right where i've increasingly enjoyed going back to quill because it's it's a more personal performance it's a more human performance and yeah i don't know I, i think that's like that's my big issue with these like first like three songs or so is just that stylization mix everything else don't get me wrong i agree with you is very very well done it's just I find that very hard to get past for the sake of a Christmas album, specifically because you get that juxtaposition between these amazing choirs and then kind of I, I, I know auto tunes are a terminology here, but like auto tune canned Beach Boys. It just doesn't sound good. So would you have preferred if like Karen was the performance instead on these tracks? hundred oh, percent. Just keep Karen the vocals throughout the whole thing and. And have Richard be the accompaniment and have that kind of come through. Just get rid of that or have Richard there. Just get rid of that vocal stylization. Again, there's nothing against him itself. It's just that vocal stylization that they have with the other ingredients of Christmas. I'm like, this just doesn't jive. I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, we are going to have to get to this at, at some point. Your opinions on this are valid. I think I see now why you don't really care for the opening few arrangements here. But to paint some historical context here, there is a reason why Karen isn't the performances on these tracks. And that's unfortunately because she passed on 1983. So the year before An Old Fashioned Christmas uh, came out and was recorded and all that. Like, So An Old Fashioned Christmas is a Carpenter's album in name only and the fact that i guess there's some leftovers between him and karen that they had from a christmas portraits recording and production that they um or he rather brushed up and included and then filled out with his own material on an old-fashioned christmas so yeah it's it's actually i'm i was very fascinated reading into their history a little bit and it was it's very sad she um was struggling with anorexia and that's what 
did her in, unfortunately. And um, apparently that was one of the in a historical context, looking retrospectively, that was one of the big, like inciting incidents to get society as a whole to like start to recognize anorexia as a thing and start to like, you know, be proactive about its detection and treatment. So, you know, it's still kind of a new a new thing back in those days. So it's just, it was very sad to read that and read about the you know how old fashioned christmas came about so that might be why he's taking charge on these tracks because these are the ones from old fashioned christmas they're brought in for the christmas portrait special edition and he literally had to fill out the leftovers from christmas portrait to complete the record so i mean um to me i look at that and you know i admire that in a way it does kind of pay honor to her to be able to have some of this old work of her still get released and kind of have this supporting production and supporting orchestral arrangements around her in the same way that they did when uh, she was still with them. So, yeah, so it, I do want to call attention to that because that, that there is a very specific reason that she isn't present in some of these tracks here. But um, but I nonetheless, I do agree that I think from an artistic perspective, it probably would be stronger if uh, fates were such that that she was able to record on these. Well, now I feel like a darn Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> it, it is. It is unfortunate. I was very sad because I was curious about, oh, where are they, where are they today? And yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, he's still around. And from my very brief looks, it seems he's doing well. It's just, yeah, unfortunately, she's not with him. Yeah, that makes sense from that standpoint. Going into it blind, not knowing that. That's kind of my take from this, I guess. Yeah. So just from a on the surface perspective. Um, I don't think those styles mix, but that makes sense. That's pretty interesting how they still were able to release something underneath that namesake and kind of do that honor. So that, that is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess while we're on the topic, I do want to talk about Karen a little bit because, I mean, she is, uh, in my opinion, like the face of Carpenters. Like Richard is there. I don't want to say is like the stage crew, but he is the one like making the magic happen. But she is the center stage presence for the duo, in my opinion. So I do want to call attention to her performances that are on this record itself. Like, of course, you got Mary Chris's Darling, but she's she's her vocals are all over the place here. So I I love her voice. Um, And I had to do a little bit of research because I'm like, she sounds like Victoria Legrand from Beach House, or she sounds funnily enough to tie it in the last episode. She sounds a little bit like Nico, too. Like, (laughs) what is this? And it turns out, like, of course, there's an actual term for that style of vocal. And apparently her deeper registry that is called... Contralto. Contralto. I hope (laughs) I'm saying this right. Contralto. So it is the traditional lowest female vocal range that you would find in a like a vocal piece. And Nico and Victoria and many other female artists also are in this range. But that's what makes it sound so, in my opinion, that's one of the clear draws because I I don't think it's necessarily very common to have a, a popular female artist have this style of voice. Usually you think it's a, a higher register or like 10 octave nonsense like Mariah Carey or whatever. <laughs> so to have something a, a little bit more mature, a little bit um, 
I, I'm trying to think of words to describe it. I almost want to say like earthy, like it feels like rich and established in a way that, uh, gosh, I, I can compliment you here a little bit, I think, because listening to other female artists do Christmas songs, stop making this sexy. Why are you trying to make this sexy? <laughs> and then some it's like unnecessary vocal flourish, like it's like the ah, trills. Yeah, the trills. Thank you. The trills. So I think that's what's so refreshing about Karen's voice, right? Is just it's straight up. Maturity is a good way, I guess, wrapping up like the immature, like self-importance of adding these trills and trying to be that buble self-importance. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's just very classy. It's very genuine. And I agree. It's so refreshing. uh, Her voice on each one of these tracks, it's. And it, it does range even within this album. You get kind of more intimate, like, hey, I'm sitting down at the piano with Karen Carpenter in track number six. It's Christmas time, sleep well, children. Two more sincere, contraditional songy song from uh, Merry Christmas, Darling, and as well as I'll Be Home for Christmas and all that, right? So I agree. I, I think those vocals are just very, very well done. And that's interesting. I, I never knew that there was considered, I, I guess, a formal, uh, I guess, octave range, right, of uh, between like female and male vocalists. So that's interesting that she tends to be on the lower register. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's it, I think you nailed it. It is nice to just have some confidence in a I don't want to say straightforward performance, but you don't need always these crazy embellishments to really get an emotion across, you know, in a artistic piece. So definitely throughout this work, really appreciated her. And just, I do want to call attention. Like I was a little worried going in. I wasn't sure what the covers, let's say, or reinterpretations of a lot of these Christmas classics, how they would come across. Cause a lot of times, unfortunately, when a popular group records Christmas music, either as like singles or an entire album, it does fall into the trap of feeling very cheap, very soulish. You can you can almost see the producers like waving a cash <laughs> check uh, yeah, yeah. off in the distance and the artist is like looking at it as they're doing <laughs> the thing. And then um, the song wraps and they just immediately go out the door grabbing it as they go. And you, get, you just get that sense where there was no true care or intentionality behind any of it. And I Listen, I get it. Like, you know, it's probably just going to go on the radio and people, most people don't care anyway, but I care. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I do get the sense here and uh, this pays to, I mean, we already talked about Karen and how she really does bring this confidence and stability to her performances, but to really highlight Richard's arrangement skills and compositional skills, there's so much really interesting flourishes and embellishments he does in the background to support and enhance these very traditional Christmas songs that we've heard millions and millions of times to to make them sound fresh enough and interesting enough that I feel like it warranted, like these albums were warranted and they earned their place to exist. (laughs) (laughs) None of this felt cash grabby to me. I I really did feel like Richard sat down and gave this the time of day to make sure that this sounded as good as he would like a quote unquote real Carpenter's album. Yes. And I think that's no more apparent than in their medleys. 
and their overture, right? Because I was kind of like half joking myself. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is the, the producer saying to them, you have to have XYZ song <laughs> on this album. And they're like, well, screw you. We don't like these songs. So we're just going to do it different and bring them all together and get it over with in one go. I, that's like <laughs> in my mind, the jokey scenario that I was going through. That's obviously not the case here. Right. Um, but it is really cool to see that new fresh take on. Yeah, I don't really want to hear a whole song of Here Comes Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman. But hey, if you throw these together in a medley, it actually is pretty darn awesome. And I quite love it. So I agree. They give all these songs good attention and kind of get a different spin on them. Um, in addition to throwing in, I think, some of the originals, because I don't I don't know if any other artist has Merry Christmas, Darling before them. So I think that's a, an original of theirs. Yes and no. So Merry Christmas, Darling, the lyrics to the song and now I'm I'm going off notes and memory here. Um, a professor of theirs back when they were in college, he wrote them when he was a, a young man. Like we're talking like early 1940s or something like that. Um, for a love interest of his at the time, and he just kind of sat on it. it they, they he didn't release the uh, track in any meaningful way or record it, but he had the lyrics written down and his attempt at the medley. And then come to find out the siblings are, you know, going to school and they're trying to find an interesting Christmas song because they were, funnily enough, kind of tired of the standard fare. They wanted something uh, like a new, fresh Christmas song. So they asked the professor, like, hey, do you have anything or have any ideas for us? And he was like, well, actually, yeah, I have this old thing that I wrote like how many years ago? And apparently Richard took the lyrics and wrote a new medley in 15 minutes, <laughs> which is oh the God. medley for Merry Christmas, Darling, that we know and love. So it is a collaboration of sorts with uh, Pooler, who was their um, their professor at the time, who wrote the lyrics and the original melody that is not used. And then, of course, Richard bringing new life to those lyrics and the intentionality behind Merry Christmas, Darling. So, yeah, I loved reading about that, and uh, it makes me very happy. So I guess kind of getting to that then off that point, what do you think makes a good Christmas song? Because that's what I was kind of thinking about going through this album, right? I'm like, why don't I like certain songs versus others for Christmas? And it is really a fine line to ride. So kind of off that point that you're discussing of them wanting like a new fresh take, what what in your mind kind of makes a good Christmas song? Oh, geez. Okay, that is a very, very hard question to answer. I think it depends on the tone it's going for, because we've heard the more traditional religious songs. We've heard the, I guess, non-secular wintertime songs. We've heard goofy wintertime songs like um, chipmunks <laughs> yeah exactly so like there's there's different sects i guess in what makes what we would consider a quote-unquote christmas song and i think what makes a good version of each of those groups is different for like i'd say the more traditional religious ones you need the gravitas you need intentionality there needs to be a reverence to the religious ones. If it's something that's kind of off the cuff or done just by whoever is the pop star of the day with, you know, some flown in ghostwriter writing the arrangements, that's not 
you're losing the critical essence of the religious solemnness. So the song fundamentally will never work. Um, so for me, what makes a good religious one, like a traditional Christmas song, you need that reverence, whether or not it's for like God or Jesus or just for faith in general. You need to channel that in order for it to work, because if it's not genuine, people will know and it, it, you'll be able to sniff it out a mile away. And that to me completely breaks that kind of song. For like the less religious, more just general Christmas time songs, there needs to be some sort of emotional connection to childhood, whether or not it's, oh, this sounds like something I listened to when I was growing up, or this just brings to mind sitting in front of a fire uh, drinking hot cocoa when I was a kid, or this reminds me of going over to my auntie's every Christmas, or whatever kind of emotional memory, emotional pull an individual has to Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate in wintertime, a good holiday slash Christmas song invokes those memories and brings you back. And however it does that is free reign to me. So as long as that end goal is met, then that is a thumbs up good Christmas song, good holiday song in my mind. So I've taken way too long to answer this. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's interesting. I'm, you and I kind of landed on similar things, at least for the non-religious sect of, of songs, where I agree when I kind of was trying to answer this for myself, the kind of key elements, I agree, it's hard to define because every time I'm like, well, it's kind of like this. Like, well, I also like this song. It doesn't really fall into that bucket. And that's a good Christmas song. So I agree. I think they can run the gamut, but I think the... The kind of key elements or key factors, I agree with you, are evoking some nostalgia, bringing back what is Christmas to that person, which is difficult to do because everyone kind of has a very specific thing. So I think it's more focusing on the feelings, right? Yes. Evoking the feelings. But that also can run the wide gamut, right? Because you also have Vince Garaldi trio's kind of uneasiness in their Winter time is here. Instrumental jazz, where you kind of get a little bit of, a little bit of unease, right? It's like, oh, it's kind of chilly outside, but that still is kind of a feeling of winter, of shorter days, harsh winds, bitter cold. So, and that all kind of brings about those seasonal feelings, right? Or you kind of have those more warm songs about gathering a family. So. I agree with you on those kind of key elements of having some nostalgia, but focusing on the feelings rather than like the specific actions, right? That one may do on Christmas. I think it was a good idea to to focus more on the feelings than the nostalgia I did because uh, the general feelings, even though we all are varied into what feelings we personally get out of the winter time, out of Christmas, what have you, there's bound to be some overlap. So even like, very young children whose first time they're hearing, you know, whatever song this is or whatever Christmas song this is, they would still be able to understand and be along for the ride just as much as someone that's listening back at it and getting more nostalgia feelings versus the original feelings of just the harshness of the wintertime conditions or the warmth of a fire and family um, at the dead of night as you're anticipating the next morning and all of that stuff. So, um, it is inclusive in that way. It's kind of funny. You transition from, you know, songs that just 
emulate and accentuate a personal feeling at a specific time to one that brings back memories of that time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess that's adulthood. I guess that's adulthood. The feelings are gone. We just have our memories. (laughs) Right. So I've talked a lot about what I love about this record. There are things I don't like about this record. Um, But I'm sorry. I do not care for Ave Maria. I really don't. I don't care about Little Altar Boy. I really don't. Yeah, and I skip I, those. <laughs> yeah, I and I like I like in general traditional Christmas songs, but Ave Maria, I just it's just a church song. There's there, <laughs> I get no, I get nothing Christmas out of it whatsoever. It is just a Christmas song that oh, who, who got this fly in my soup? Who got this church song in my Christmas music? <laughs> Get that out of here. And from an arrangement perspective, this is probably my least favorite decision Richard makes on the entire record. So that's the decisions he made on Christmas Portrait and Old Fashioned Christmas is the waltzer. Why do you have the waltzer on Alve Maria? G- get that out of here. <laughs> that does not belong here. Like, I know you like the waltzer. I get it, but get that out of here. Um, and then Little Altar Boy, again, the waltzer. And uh, it's just, it's way too, it's way too church. And less Christmas to me. And I think there's a crucial difference there. Yes, I understand that traditional Christmas music is, in fact, church music. But I I think that is still a sliding scale that given there's traditional Christmas music, there is what we would, I guess, still categorize as a Christmas song, but is very much not – is very much – just a standard church song versus oh this is a christmas song but this this is generally applicable even though this is necessarily a church song um so on the sliding scale ave maria and little altar boy have fallen way the hell off (laughs) and and religious zealots everywhere are yes are triggered (laughs) yes well it's okay let me let me be equal opportunity piss here um so (laughs) the um i Listen, I understand Nutcracker is very important to a lot of people, and I know a lot of people that is quintessential Christmas for them. I've never gotten anything Christmas out of Nutcracker. It yeah. is just a random yeah. musical performance to me that is always included in 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 Christmas uh, radio stations or compilations or albums like this. And I just I always feel they're out of place like, oh, good. Now we're doing this random musical that for reasons I still have yet to understand people tightly couple with Christmas time in the same way that people are like, oh, Die Hard's a Christmas music. Herp, derp. And it's like, no, just because something is set in Christmas time doesn't necessarily make it a Christmas thing. And I think Nutcracker is squarely in that group. Get it out of here. And it, that and it always just is nutcracker <laughs> yeah, uh, there's right. so much other stuff here that's like oh richard does some interesting things this is just nutcracker there's there, i feel like you hear one nutcracker suite you've heard them all there's nothing interesting here yeah so and you know what's so funny is i can never he- read the name nutcracker or hear nutcracker without thinking about how mom fell asleep at every nutcracker performance <laughs> that she went to <laughs> Oh, uh, of course. It is the <laughs> tradition. tradition. <laughs> As is tradition. It's it's the seasonal $100 nap that you pay for. Oh my god. I, so I guess it runs in the family our ambivalence to the nutcracker. Yeah, I'll be honest, I skipped uh, kind of those three songs. I I I didn't really care much. So that, that 
Yeah, that is that is interesting. But uh, I agree. I don't even from like if I try to, I guess, defend the religious position and provide like a like of that camp. I, I still don't think Ave Maria counts as a Christmas song. Right. I think it is more of just like a generic a uh, religious song. I, I don't think it has specific ties to Christmas, right? I don't think it does. See, like, if if I was to guess, I would if, if before listening to this, I would have guessed that Ave Maria would be like May crowning, like that sort of um, uh, time. Not Christmas by any means. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, I'm trying to think of like what other song I put into that like lumped category, right? What's the song that's like um, was it uh? Something I do have grace. What's it called? Amazing grace. Yeah, I lump it in like with those type of songs. Right. I know. I Well, amazing grace, I guess, isn't really religious, but well, I guess I is mean, it? it kind of is. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily strictly a church song, but at the same time, I, I would not question if it came up in church. I feel like it did when we went to churches when we were uh, one with the church many yeah. years ago. But um yeah, I, I I do think it is included in in the songs there usually. Yeah, I wonder then. Yeah, why the creative decision to include those? I wonder. I have no idea. Yeah, that is That's, interesting. You know what? <laughs> is Ave Maria a Christmas <laughs> song? Help me Google. All right, <laughs> is Ave Maria really a Christmas song? First hit, love it. Oh man, no definitive answers on this. It's just more of a general discussion about it. <laughs> don't sing to Mary. Don't pray to Mary, and certainly don't place your hope for grace in Mary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my God, Mark Mentor, what are you doing? That's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna link this in the show notes just because that that is very funny to me. But um, yeah. If anything else, this has proven to me that it other people also seem to question. Wait a minute, is this actually a Christmas song? So. I, I'm wondering if this is a thing that like even though like many people are like, I don't know if this is a Christmas song, it's typically included as a Christmas song for releases like thing things like this. So I guess it is technically now a Christmas song. I don't know. Um, but I think we're of a similar mind here. Ave Maria, you gotta go. You gotta go, Mary. Yeah, you gotta go. Get out of here. <laughs> so can we talk about Christmas song? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Um, of course. <laughs> what do you have to say? We have unfinished discussion business here. So oh, last no. we discussed this, I, this was my first draft for my EP. Because I I have been a firm believer that there is only one and only person that can sing this song, and that is the Nat King Cole. Uh, we discussed other people that have attempted this, and I think <laughs> it kind of falls into now three categories of that things can land into the gold tier which obviously is nat king cole you got the clunkers that are just like why um (laughs) and then you got honorary mentions right and so last we talked i did assert very boldly that okay it is nat king cole and i explained why and i think it's his effortless suaveness and coolness and it's the genuineness of he just wants to wish you a merry christmas and the instrumentals are so well accompaniment it's just it, oh, it's, it, it warms my heart. But we also talked about people came very close, even though they had good renditions like um, like Amy Grant comes so close, just gets branded by an iron. Right. <laughs> Such a shame. 
And then Bing Crosby, I also I followed up from uh, from Amy's comment on that episode that uh, she was like, oh, well, what about Bing Crosby's version? I agree. I, I I think that deserves an honorary mention. I don't know if it necessarily belongs in the gold tier per se, but um, I do like the particularly the 1946 version, uh, which we can provide in the show notes. And honestly, God gets to it's good Bing Crosby Christmas, but it's still not my favorite rendition of this. So then we get into the clunkers and I explored a little bit further. So I'm like, what makes renditions of the song? Like, why? Why am I so polarized with this? And it's like, OK, well, let's search around. All right, let's check out Christina Aguilera's version. And I'm like, oh, oh no. she's just a female <laughs> Michael Buble. It's a lot of that like, <laughs> like vocal flourish trills. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm like, stop trying to make this so much better than this material. Stop trying to make this sexy. It's not sexy. <laughs> and then I was like, OK, I'll venture into Shawn Mendes and see what he can do. So I essentially was like on YouTube and filtering by like highest view count. And I was kind of shocked. I'm like, oh, I don't I wouldn't have ever pegged Sean Mendes as doing an OK rendition. He starts going into it and then it just very, very soon kind of veers off as the female accompaniment just provides the Christina Aguilera factor to the song. And then their whole closing do 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 da 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 it's like oh my god why no um and then we've talked about pentatonics and how guys not everything is better just because it's acapella moving on (sighs) and of course we talked about michael buble right who's our 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 resident bro acapella singer yes mr bubbles himself mr bubbles himself and my issue with him still stands that it's his performance is lackadaisical, his cadence doesn't match the band, and it's that sound of self-importance, like every note is like, yeah, you you hear that? It's like, oh, God, stop. <laughs> so that brings us then to when I saw that the Car- uh, Carpenters had Christmas song on here, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, no. Which category is this going to fall into? And I can say after listening to this with Karen Carpenter, I think... There is now two people in the category of the gold tier list for myself. We got Yay! both. We got both a male and a female. We have Nat King Cole, who's the OG. We all know Nat King Cole, but I, I honestly think Karen Carpenter belongs up on this list because she does embody, as we've been discussing, the same elements that I enjoy out of Nat King Cole. Production is very good. Instrumentals are good. She keeps up with the instrumentals of the song, which I think is kind of difficult to do. People want to tend to drift from the cadence of the band for whatever weird reason, and it just doesn't work out. Uh, There's no Beach Boys, Richard Carpenter in here, so that's a plus. (laughs) And you get the choir and string accompaniment. And it's that genuineness that we've been talking about, how that maturity in the voice, she knows what she's doing, the confidence. And I think for that, she... We got another in my mind in the gold tier list of of a Christmas, the Christmas song, rather. Um, well, well, you heard it here first, people. The Carpenters, the Christmas song is a good rendition. Breaking news. <laughs> that I was curious what your thoughts on this was going to be, because I did make a note here that that was one of the renditions that I thought was done extremely well when I was mentioning before that the like quote unquote strict covers, the songy songs are done 
generally very well um with great care so it, it i it makes me very happy to hear that um you do agree as well especially with respect to the christmas song because i know how uh how uh persnickety you are about <laughs> versions oh i am very persnickety <laughs> So that's all I had on Christmas Portrait. Do you have any, like, final uh, remarks? Anything you didn't get a chance to say? Let's circle back to the tentpole of the album, Merry Christmas, currently, for just a quick sec. Hot second. So we, we've talked about before what makes this song great in our prior episode. But on the second listen, it kind of jumped out to me, I think, why I like this from a, like, songwriting perspective to... Uh, kind of complimenting your uh, story there, describing with the professor. In my mind, this is kind of like the creative modern twin of I'll Be Home for Christmas, where both are kind of cover similar subject matters and both are kind of melancholic, but you don't initially get that feeling from the song. While the subject matter is sad, right? I'm not home for Christmas. It's only in my dreams or... We're apart. That's true. This Christmas, as in "Merry Christmas, Darling." What's interesting about those songs is that they still get a, I guess, positive, warm feeling because just kind of the thoughts of that bring the people together, right, in the song. And I, I really think these are kind of two sides of the same coin, and it's it kind of cool to think about it that way in my mind from a creative perspective. So that's something I just wanted to tag on. That kind of jumped out to me for Merry Christmas, Darling. And I'm like, why do I creatively like this song so much? And I think that's why, is I do like that kind of melancholic undertones of I'll be home for Christmas. And I think Merry Christmas, Darling does a, a similar take of that. I like this take because it is a sad or generally somber topic of like, oh, I can't be with you on Christmas either because I'm, uh, you know, fighting a war halfway across the world. With regards yeah. to, I'll be home for Christmas. They won't. Um, and oh, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Darling, where, oh, I, I wish I could be with you on Christmas. And um, to accentuate on that a little bit, the professor that had written the lyrics back when he was like in his early 20s, it was for a love interest of his at the time. But as far as I as far as I'm aware, it was an unrequited love or maybe just like a crush of his. Um, there wasn't too much details on it, but I didn't get the impression it was actually like, oh, they were a couple, like a confirmed couple. I think it was just a longing thing. And you get the sense in there where it's just like, I I have fond thoughts of you on this Christmas day. So, yeah, you're right. There's the, the loss there, the fact that the physicality cannot be met, but the, there's the warm thoughts about a potential what could be or just general wishes that brings the warmth to these generally cold topics. So I, I, I yeah, that's a great I, I, they are kind of two sides of the same coin. I like that. While we're still on Merry Christmas, darling, I do want to briefly bring attention to I don't know if you picked up on it, but this is not the same Merry Christmas, darling, that we hear on the radio, the single version. Oh, really? I didn't notice. No, the Merry Christmas, darling, on Christmas portrait. And we're talking the like actual original Christmas portrait, not the special edition that includes old fashioned Christmas. Um, the uh at least what I know for sure is Karen did a complete re-recording of her performance because apparently she wasn't thrilled with the original single performance. Like it was at her request. She's like, no, 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 we're we're doing this again. Um, So it's a completely new performance from uh, Karen. And I think there were also different arrangements compositionally going on with the remix that we hear on Christmas Portrait. Because to me, I now granted, I haven't heard like both of them one right after the other multiple times. And it is kind of hard to 
to pick up on the differences, but I think the single version is a little bit, a little bit more stripped back, not quite as uh, lush as the version on Christmas Portrait. So I think Richard did go in and fill out Merry Christmas Darling a little bit more on Christmas Portrait. Now, I could be just completely talking out my ass here, <laughs> but that is that is at least the impression that I got from listening to it. But the one thing we know for sure is that Karen did a completely new performance for the version on Christmas Portrait, which I love. I love hearing slightly different versions of songs like an original stereo mix of a Beatles album and then the new stereo mix that was done last year or whatever. Like, oh, wow, you get to hear all this stuff in a brand new light or, oh, I never heard the mono versions of those. Let's go back. Whoa, it's so it's because you just by changing even just the subtlest of variables, you get a completely different impression of this like multifaceted jewel that is the song so i love 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 that there's a slightly different version of merry christmas darling here just because um i find that a wonderful little trinket to kind of play around with in my mind like comparing the differences in my mind like oh it's kind of like this oh no it's a little bit different from there and all that good stuff so if you also love merry christmas darling i would definitely encourage uh seeing if you can pick out the differences yourself when listening to the uh album version versus the single version I feel like I have to speak about some lyrics here, since Amy's not with us for our second Christmas episode. So I really like in the medley, Winter Wonderland, Silver Bells, White Christmas. I think that song is my favorite if we're going away from Merry Christmas, Darling. In my mind, that is that's one of the other tent poles of this album. And I really love the line of it's December the 24th and I'm longing to be up north that just leads into White Christmas. It's it's very well done. And I think this is where, to your point, Richard Carpenter shines is the, the blending and the composition work of all these Christmas songs into these medleys. It's, it's just very well done. Um, and I think this is a line delivered by Karen Carpenter as well, if I if I recall correctly. Yep, yep, so, yeah. I uh, just want to highlight that that was uh, a lyric that really jumped out to me. It's very White Christmas, the movie. Snow, 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 snow. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yes, I did kind of have thoughts of that. Talking about going to what, what, Vermont or wherever the hell they were going. Oh, I hear all that snow this time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? So if you couldn't draft (laughs) Merry Christmas, darling, then knowing what it comes from the album, what other, what other song in your mind really jumps out as like the other tent pole here? Oh, uh, let's see. I mean, I, I, you're going to disagree, but I think the first like opening two tracks that includes It Came Upon a Midnight Clear and the overture that includes like six different songs um, that's eight minutes long. Like that to me is the big tent pole of the album that immediately draws me in, that immediately made me understand, oh, this isn't just Oh, it's the Carpenters and they did a Christmas album. Like, no, this, this, they <laughs> took some care on this. They took some time on this and they had fun with this. Like that, that they really, specifically Richard, when it comes to the first two tracks, really uh, took the time and care it took to make something special. And uh, that immediately to me made this something I couldn't wait to talk about with you because it blew away my expectations going in for what. I was going to get. So uh, to me, yeah, the tent pole, aside from Merry Christmas, Darling, would be those first two opening tracks. I have my disagreements, but I can re- <laughs> I can respect that. I can res- respect it because, like you said, it's 
amazing the attention to detail and the, all the other work that goes into it. I'm just hung up on the vocals early at the end of the day. I can get, I can get that. I can get that. I am very tolerant of a lot of overdubs of just him, but um, I, I don't know. I guess I just am tolerant of it. It just it, it brings fond memories and warm feelings mm-hmm. to me, even though it's maybe at face value, not the most organic performance or, you know, the most beautiful voice, um, you know, that sort of thing. So I have nothing else on this, but I had one heck of a time listening to this and I'm glad I have a new album now to add to my Christmas repertoire. Yeah, me too. I think that was my favorite takeaway from this is adding another great album into the repertoire. Um, that was one of my big takeaways is just great. Another good Christmas ambiance to have in the background. And um, I think there are songs because it is so long. I don't like I said, I'm not thinking when I sit down and re-listen to it in its entirety, but I will uh, add it a lot of these to uh, a big Christmas playlist for sure. Well, hey, Michael, thank you for taking time this early Chris or not early Christmas day. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Um, thank <laughs> you for taking time this early winter morning to talk about this album with me. Yeah, no problem. It was good fun. I'm all done with the hot cocoa and uh, it's all, all, all good fun. <laughs> all right. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. Anything we mentioned materials wise or quotes or any useful things that you may want to look into will be in the show notes of this episode. And you can find the show notes in your podcast player of choice. Most display the show notes somewhere. But even if your podcast player does not, you can find the notes for this episode on badmusichurts.com. That's Hurts Like the Car Company or Hurts Like It Hurts Me. Hey, both work. (laughs) So thank you for tuning in. Try to stay warm this holiday season and take care. Farewell. Ho, ho, ho. Jesus, Lord, at thy I want to talk about Infinite Arms next time. Oh, you do? Ooh. I do. Okay. I want to talk about Infinite Arms very badly. Um, it, it is it is shocking to me how often I find myself going back to that album. Uh, I will let you know that in Marvis, um, this is my number one play count album. Is wow. It, with a total play count of 1,191 times. <laughs> Wait, one thousand? I did. Well, it's because it's uh, what nine thousand? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that can be right. What does a scouter say about his play count? <laughs> um, no. So in in Marvis, this is just the aggregate sum of the play counts of each song. So each song is roughly around a hundred plays. So that's why it tops out at around a thousand. Wow. I'm very jealous. You still have this this uh information. I. Through a number of different reasons, do not have like a historical backlog of my listen counts. Uh, the best I have is maybe historical play counts that are going to be correct now going forward from like 
maybe a few months ago, but everything before then is just gone. <laughs> you know, I I'm really excited, though, that you want to talk about this album because it's kind of I agree. I always come back to this and it's it's definitely something I want to want to talk about. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm glad you agree because I was taking no prisoners. I wasn't taking no for an answer. On this. We're talking about it. <laughs> Twist my arm is the most played on my phone. So, um, but good deal. Fantastic. Good deal. All right. So speaking of which, I I, I kind of want to like vent a little bit about some stuff to you here. So, oh no, what the heck happened to YouTube search results? It drives me crazy now. Where if you just search like generally like. If I just type in here the Christmas song, because I was doing this when preparing for this, the results now are like categorized or bucketized. It's all these. It's like people also watched. I'm like, what? What is this category? Then it's like, hey, for you, here are some results. I'm like, no, I just want the results. Stop trying to like hold my hand through this, YouTube. I don't know. It's very frustrating. So uh, YouTube doing shenanigans and occasionally has been removing upload dates for whatever weird reason because you know that will only work out well for society (laughs) okay so your first your first mistake is relying on a google service for anything uh the second mistake (laughs) is using youtube for music the hell are you doing man use apple music for god's sakes man i know how much does it cost i mean i think it's very obvious like you said that they want to rid itunes because if i go into search here it, it has iTunes off to the corner. It's like, do you want to search your library, Apple Music, or I guess iTunes? <laughs> like, if you're a weird person that's still <laughs> one of the dozen people that still buys music. It is speaking as someone that still does, in fact, buy music, or at least um, I guess we'll get to that. There's some developments there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I please, for the love of God, Michael, if you actually do listen stream music occasionally like apple music is the way to go do not use oh my god it's 11 dollars a month oh god okay that's expensive so stingy i know well what do you do about storage don't you pay for storage every uh month yeah but that's like two bucks (laughs) okay but like what i'm saying is you can get the like apple one thing that includes top tier storage you get apple music not for free but it's included at a discount and then there's some other things that's included as well like fitness plus and all that stuff so it's pretty nice i didn't even know apple one was a thing <laughs> oh yeah well uh this is all to say i would strongly encourage apple music and for in no small part because uh they have some select albums in dolby atmos on there oh and it's really really cool it's really cool okay well my problem is we we technically already have a music service through kaylee's account through spotify as much as i dislike spotify but spotify's audio quality is bad i just really i don't like how that app handles things yeah it frustrates me let me be 100% clear here apple music's app is also hot trash but you can use third-party apps. Like, I use Marvis for my Apple Music integration. And oh, it is I didn't know you could delicious. use Marvis for that. Oh, oh. oh it's wonderful. And God you can do bless all Marvis, of, You can do all of the Marvisy things, like smart filters, sorting. You can change ev- basically every aspect of the UI you would care about with regards to, like, metadata that's displayed and stuff. Like, I have configured 
to show like the heart icon next to tracks that I liked and I could change the color of that heart icon. And then, oh, for recently added, I included the date in the right as like the metadata and like you could do, all, oh God, you could do all different kinds of things, but you can do that with Apple Music, the service, wow. if you so desire. So it's really, really cool. But this God is all bless to say, Marvis. That's pretty cool. Did you also see that... Um there's a new live action trailer for The Last of Us out. Oh, a new one. Oh, like, isn't it just recently dropped? I've seen yeah. a live action one, but um, that was um, a few months ago. I think it's like actually a trailer. Um, I saw it yesterday. Here, I'll, I'll send you. Because I have seen a trailer, but that was released uh, months ago. No, this one's it released yesterday. I'll send it to you. I think I know who they're getting to play Bill, and I think it's a good choice. <laughs> Needless to say. Oh, is this a new trailer? Ah! Ah! <laughs> oh, it looks so good. Hmm. Where's Bill? You mentioned that he was in the trailer. Uh, did you finish it? Not yet. I'm like halfway through. This January. <laughs> was that Marlene? Oh, fantastic casting choice. Oh, the mall. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is. I'm so excited for this, man. <laughs> that is yeah. fantastic. Holy shit. That obviously is Bill. Oh, yeah, my God. I, it has to be Bill, right? OK, that mm, come on. Let this be good for all that is holy. Let this be good. Oh, no. Oh, no. The bloater. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. I'm excited. This is going to be good. I don't know when it drops, but next year. Oh, it's next year. January 15th. Um, I'm at least curious to check it out. I mean, I'm a the volition. They, the games are always the game. So, like, why not try it? And if it's bad, who cares? Like, exactly. Exactly. I I'm going to remain hopefully optimistic because, again, like if there's any if there's anyone that could do this right, it it is HBO. So, oh, boy. And I think Neil Druckmann has had his hand in this a little bit. So. I believe so. Yeah. I don't know how extensive a hand, but I, I I do believe you're right that he wasn't like hands off. He he he's been a part of it, though. I'm not sure to what extent, but that does bode well for it. Mm hmm. I don't know, like, how long it's going to be, though. How many episodes or... I don't know how many episodes, but I, if I had to make a guess, I think it is going to clearly cover the first game. And I would guess that would be in one season. Now, whether that's one season of hour-long eight episodes or hour-long 12 episodes or what have you, I'm, I'm not sure. But I would guess that would be what we're looking at here is not anything like 20 episodes. Uh, it's probably going to be hour-long eight to ten episodes that would be my guess because that's kind of the way um movie style miniseries like this tend to go and then depending on how well it does obviously i would say that they were there's a strong likelihood of like a part two coming out at, then afterwards if this does well which it's looking like it certainly will yeah it is it is confirmed i'm poking around on wikipedia that nick offerman is is bill oh i love it i love it so much um I'm just trying to see if I can find like length and stuff. Let's see here. Um, I mean, HBO tends to do longer, quote unquote, episodes anyway. So, yeah, I think that makes sense to me to do like more like hour length and do, 
kind of the shorter seasons per se, like the eight or less episodes, which is effectively the length of the game kind of say. Yeah, I'm just glad they're not doing a movie. Uh, yes. With a movie, yes. it's just such a different thing. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, movies are, are good, but the, sometimes a solid miniseries is the better choice. And I think for this kind of game, it is indeed the better choice. So, yeah, I, I, I'm interested to to check it out. I don't really want to pay for HBO Max, but I, I might just to check this series out. If they if they release it in bulk, then I'll sign up and then just like cancel when it's done. But yeah, I think they do it. I think they do it episode by episode. So you would have to wait, I think. Ah, of course. Yeah, because that's what they did for the new Game of Thrones show. So if I had to guess. Uh, poor HBO. I wonder if they know just how like irate the fan base can be and how ridiculous they can be with this series. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, they know about the Game of Thrones fandom and how they reacted to the last season. So I think they know what to expect out of fandoms in general. <laughs> the mob mentality takes over and check your brain at the door, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly.